First Peter chapter 4 this morning, First Peter chapter number 4, and I'm glad and I'm proud to be an American, amen, and I know it's too much, a lot of people today, I don't say a lot of people, I think people that maybe talk louder than other people do say they're not proud to be in America, they're not proud to be an American, they're ashamed of our country, and so on and so forth. Well, why don't you just go somewhere else? And you notice they don't do that, amen, because there's no other country like the United States of America. Oh, our country has problems. Our country has issues. But we're thankful for the land God has given us, and it's a land worth fighting for. I'm also glad to be a Christian. Amen. I'm glad to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And being a Christian and being an American are not in conflict one with another. I pray if you're a Christian, it'll make you a better American. Amen. And our loyalty, of course, first is to Christ, not to our country. For our country is not here, it is in heaven. Amen. We're a citizen of heaven. But our loyalty, yes, do we have to have loyalty? Should we have loyalty to America? Absolutely, yes. And because we love our country, I hope that we listen very carefully to the message this morning. On a message entitled, Where It All Begins. Our country's in trouble. How do we see change happen? There are people that have given up, said there's no hope for America. It's going down the tubes. That's it. You know, uh, there's no bringing it back. I don't believe that. Uh, we're learning in Sunday school about being daring for the Lord. And I think we need a day where we need to be daring as God's people uh, the situation that we are in. Can I tell you something this morning, a little hint to the message? What's going on in our country can be squarely laid at the door of the church of God. I'll say that again. What's going on in our country can squarely be laid at the church of God. And we're going to look, see why that is, because we don't think of it that way. We think, well, if the, the politics were a little bit different, if the culture was a bit different, if things were different, if those changed, and that's why too many churches and too many people, they go down the social change angle. Well, we need to change our culture. We need to change our society. Can I tell you, only God can do that. Only God can change the heart of a person. Only God can change the mind of a person. And only God can change the trajectory of a nation. And can I say something this morning? The trajectory of our nation is destruction and judgment by God. That's the trajectory we are on because of the sins of our land. And we look at that and we say, well, I hope it doesn't happen. I hope that we don't have the same idea as the king of Israel had. Well, I hope I don't see it. Well, I hope you don't want it to happen in your children's day or your grandchildren or great-grandchildren's day, but that our country would go on for the Lord. Because the United States of America has been an epicenter of missions and gospel witness around the world for the last 200 years. Now, actually, countries like Australia and Mexico and different places are beginning to take that away from the United States. Because why? We see that, I'm afraid... Christianity in some places is on the run in the United States. Why is that? And what can we do about it? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you didn't ask, you're going to find out anyway this morning. Let's take our Bibles under 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. In order to see change in our country, you must understand what our responsibility is. Uh, unfortunately, we've had this mentality in a lot of churches that we are standing here as the place of God, the ivory tower, the pillar, and ground of truth. 
and we hide in here and wait to see what happens on the outside. But is this what God will intend? And what does God expect from us? And what is God going to do in judgment to the church of God when it comes? Now, I want us to understand something before we read. In the judgment of God, God is the great and the good judge. Before we read this passage, I want us to understand something. God is the judge of mankind. God is the judge of the church. God is our judge. Now, what we're talking about here in this passage is not judgment whether you endure hellfire or heaven. This is the judgment of God, the weighing in the balance. God is the great judge, and he has a perfect balance. I want us to think of something, if you read the book of Daniel and you see near the end, the king Belshazzar, who was the son of Nebuchadnezzar, and he was uh, drinking and making merry uh, and was just, nothing was, nothing was bothering him, but then he saw the finger of God, the handwriting on the wall, and what was the interpretation that Daniel gave? And God has told him that I weighed you in the balance and have found you wanting. What happened? The Persians and the Medes came in and took over Babylon. And so that's the idea of judgment. And God is going to weigh us. God is going to weigh the church of God in the balance. Where do we end up? And that's completely up to you. Let's read this morning. First Peter chapter 4, verse 16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God on this behalf, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Let's pause for a moment. So what do you mean? It begins at the house of God. No, it begins in the White House, and you know, Joe Biden's going to be in the, in the balance, right? Or it's going to begin in the Senate or the Congress. What about the Supreme Court? That's where the judgment needs to be. No, it doesn't begin there. It begins here. It begins at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffereth according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Let's pray. And Father, I pray that you will bless our time together in your word today. O oh Lord, that we would look at and see where it all begins. It doesn't begin anywhere else but right here and in our hearts and in our lives. And Lord, I pray that we not be found wanting today, but Lord, that we be faithful. I pray, Lord, that we would see this for what it is and that it would spur us on to action, that it would not discourage us, that it would not depress us, Lord, for yes, we may be wanting, but Lord, we can become very easily to a place of being pleasing to you. I pray, Lord, that you would guide us this morning. I pray that this would be a message of hope for these people here. And Lord, that you would give that hope and also hope for our country, hope for our city. We pray, Lord, that you would guide and direct and bless. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Where it all begins. So if you're taking notes this morning, number one, we're going to look at the battle for America. We know we live in a spiritual battlefield. We, as per, on a personal level, we are battling spiritual battles. We are battling the battles of right and wrong. We are battling the battles of morality in our own personal life. Can I say something? There is a war being raged, waged in our country day in and day out, and we can get used to it. 
and we see the war being waged and we look at it and we read it in the news or it's presented to us and we look at it and we say, well, isn't that a shame? Can I just say something? That we today, the church of God, has a very reserved disconnection from what's going on outside. Like, well, yes, the world, the storm is going to rage on the outside. You know, we pray, we sing to him till the storm passes by and guess what? We're supposed to be out there helping to calm that storm. We're not to be in here hiding, yes, and we have the blessed assurance of God, and we have the peace of God, all wonderful things. Guess what? The world needs that out there. Our culture needs that out there. But what have we been taught? That we don't have a say, that we don't need to say anything, and it's not our business. It's absolutely our business. You know why? Because God made it our business. And if you love America, then you're going to listen very closely to what I'm about to say to you today, that what we need... The judgment of God, the weighing, the balancing. You see that in Revelation chapter 3. That's exactly what the churches that were written to. God had weighed them. He had judged them. He told them some things they were doing well. He also told them, hey, here's some things you need to fix or bad things are going to happen. Otherwise, you're going to put yourself on the path of destruction. You're going to put yourself on the path of judgment. You need to fix these things. And I think that's what God wants to do with us here today. I hope we understand the severity of what we are seeing in the United States of America today. What we see going on today has never gone on in our country before, and it is ripping our country apart, and our country is on the brink of destruction. I hope we know that, that within a generation, America as we know it is going to be gone. And it's time for Christians to stand up and say something. Here, and these are not just a few social issues, okay? One, we have the big thing going on about abortion right now, okay? Abortion's still going on in our nation. Just because the Supreme Court said we shouldn't do it and the, take that, the, the federal requirement for it, it's still going on. Kansas is now the abortion capital of the United States of America, so you can go there from all kinds of out of state, New York, California. You can still get abortions in America. They just got to drive a little bit or fly in a plane. And it's a sick thing. When you see people, they'll pay your airfare to go and get an abortion in America today. Like, well, you know, we need to have those things. No, we don't. It's a murder of an unborn child. You want to know what the reasons are for an abortion today? 25% they mean they're not ready for a child, so they'll have an abortion. 23% can't afford a child. Oh, I can't, I don't have the money, I can't afford it, so I'm going to have an abortion. 19%, I'm done having children. So they already have had children, I don't want it anymore, just have an abortion. If you're doing math, you're about up to over 70%. 8%, they don't want to be a single mother. 7%, not mature enough to raise a child. 4% would interfere with their career. That accounts for 86% of abortions in America. The other 14% are medically related. But it's, that isn't what we're told by the promoters of abortion, is it? Oh, it's about women's health and all that. No, it's about convenience, pure and simple. It is about children are a disease to some people. Children are a bother. Children are a burden. And I don't want it, so I'll just kill the child. And by the way, if the land of Canaan was not spared for their, and by the way, that is child sacrifice. Sacrifice on the idol of me 
and what I want and money. That's exactly what it is. If Canaan wasn't spared for their child sacrifice and bowing down to their gods and cutting the heads off their children in rituals, then America will not be spared either. How can we think America will be spared? Can there be forgiveness? Absolutely. What do we see all the way through the Bible? Is that if we humble ourselves and what? Pray and seek his face. They said, I will heal their land. In humility and prayer, guess what? The lost outside aren't going to pray. They don't know what to pray or how to pray. They're lost. Prayer begins where? In the house of God. Sodomy today. It's in your face. Now they, you know, chanting, they're out, they're coming for our children. They're as open about it now. Did God spare Sodom and Gomorrah for this unnatural, sick and twisted sin? Is there forgiveness? Yes. An abomination of twisting of God's plan and purpose. Do we understand that America is on the brink of judgment and destruction? It's on the brink. It could happen at any moment. That America will cease to exist as we know it today eminently. It's, oh, you know, pastor, you know, you're being an alarmist. You know, things are just going to go on. Things are going to go on. Things are going to go on. Guess what? They thought that in Israel's day. Oh, it's just going to go on. It's going to go on because of God's mercy and God's grace. We're just going to go on. It's not going to happen, you know. And even some Christians begin to think, well, maybe God's judgment really isn't coming. Is God really going to judge sin? Can I promise you he does? He, he does. I'm not trying to be an alarmist, but it is my job to sound the alarm. It's my job to be a watchman. And we, this is where we're at today. We can't turn a blind eye to it anymore. To put it in the words of Winston Churchill, when England was faced with imminent invasion and destruction by Hitler, what did he say? This is our darkest hour. And guess what? They were presented with a peace treaty with Hitler like the other nations were. We're going to make peace and we won't invade you as long as you don't bother us and let us take over the rest of Europe and take over France and do that. They were offered that. That doesn't make it in the history books a whole lot. They were offered that. But the king and Winston Churchill said no because they looked at what, how they honored other peace agreements with Holland and Austria and all these other places, Poland. And they decided what? No, we'll fight them on the beaches, right? In the fields and in the streets. We'll fight them wherever they are. Until what? Until we all die. No, it said until what? Victory. Are we willing to fight for our Lord Jesus Christ and for the soul of our nation in the same way? We will not take no for an answer. We're going to fight the fight of faith. I'm not talking about the fight of taking up guns and things. I'm talking about the fight of the fight for truth. Are we willing? We have the truth in our hands, but I would say the majority of Christians are afraid. I'm, don't, I don't take this lightly. The majority of Christians, the majority of Christians in this church and many other churches are afraid to say something about it. You're afraid to say that's wrong because God says this. This is the truth of God's word in the gospel track. This is the truth of God in the gospel how to be saved. They're afraid because it upsets the flow of their life. It upsets the, what people think of me. 
So where's the, so first we see the battle for America. Second, let's look at the epicenter of judgment. When will this judgment come? Well, we don't know when the timing of the Lord is, but we do know in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, that he does say something about false teachers and false prophets. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves slow destruction. Does it say that? Swift, quick, quick judgment of God. Swift destruction. I don't know when it's going to be, but I believe it's going to happen and we're not going to believe what happens. It might be a nuclear bomb dropped on us. I don't know what it's going to be. This is the day and age we live in. And if you don't think we're not living in it, then you're willingly blind. I mean, we have multiple countries in the world, China, Russia, North Korea, that would love to drop a bomb on us. Oh, we have the technology to stop it. (laughs) Our own military said we don't. Now, I'm not trying to say, well, this is great. You know, this is Patriotic Sunday where we love America. We do love America. But are we willing to, because this is how judgment comes. God brings judgment from the outside. And there are countries that would love to bring judgment to America in their own way. But where will the judgment begin? This is where I believe most people get it wrong. We already talked about this. We like to talk about the issues, and we should talk about the issues that are going on today. We shouldn't be blind to them. And the judgment for America is not going to be at the White House. It's not going to be getting there. Where the balance is going to be weighed is not going to be at uh, Pennsylvania Avenue. It's not going to be there. It's not going to begin at the Senate floor. Well, how they, where they bring these laws into being. Or the halls of Congress. Or the aisles of the Supreme Court. Or the governor's mansion here in Texas. Or the city council chambers of Colleen. Or the abortion clinic. Or the school board meetings that have become so controversial. It will begin, according to our passage, at the house of God. It will begin here. And every church that claims the name of God... Because there's a lot of churches that claim the name of God, but they don't preach the God of the Bible. And I believe firmly that any church that claims to be a church and they claim the name of God, God is going, they've put themselves in a place of being weighed in the balance. Can I just say something? As a Christian, that should terrify you. God is a loving God, yes, but also God is a just God. And a God, uh, the great and terrible God, we need to have a little bit of a fear of the Lord. And we have to understand that your life is going to be weighed. Your life is going to be weighed. And the state of the church in America today, let's just be honest, is deplorable. People are confused on so many issues. was listening to something the other day. In mainline churches and denominations in America, 90% of people, they did a survey of mainline denominations today, 90% don't read their Bible or pray. Many of them don't even own a Bible. And we're in trouble today. Even young people in our own church, they don't bring a Bible to church. They use the Pew Bible. They don't take notes. They draw pictures. That's a problem. Instead of being concerned about what the Word of God says, people are confused. And you know what they found in that survey? They don't even know basic Bible stories. They don't even know who Moses or Abraham were. And it said that pastors and preachers are having to explain who Abraham and Isaac were. 
explain who John the Baptist was to people because they don't know. That's sad. That didn't used to be the case. Everybody, whether you went to school, used to teach those things in school. You used to have Bible class or religious class and learn something. But here's the question. Why does it begin at the church? Why does it begin here? Well, let's look to Luke chapter 12, and then Jesus gives us the answer. Because we understand, have to understand something. God holds people to a different standard of accountability who know his truth. The lost world outside, they're doing what lost people do. They don't know the truth of God. But are they without excuse? Romans chapter 1 very clearly tells us, no, they are not without excuse. However, we are without even less. If you want to see a, a level of that of excuse of, well, we understand that you didn't know everything, they are without excuse. How much more we are we without excuse? Because we hold the Bible in our hand. We have Sunday school classes. We have children's church. We have Bible studies. We have preaching time. And we have heard, and we have heard, and we have heard, and we have heard, and we have heard again. Yet we have trouble doing the basic things. Luke chapter 12, verse 41. Then Peter said unto them, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us, or even to all? What is this talking about? Talking about... Um, well, let's start off in verse 35. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding. Then when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. This is talking about the coming of Christ, the rapture. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord when he cometh shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he come, he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so. Blessed are those servants. And this know that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be therefore ready also for the son of man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us or even to all? So he's talking, are you just talking to us or are you talking to everybody? This is great. Don't you love questions in the word of God? Amen. Because people look at that, oh, he was talking to disciples. He wasn't talking to everybody. But Peter asked, is this just to us or is this to everybody? And Jesus, and Lord said, who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion or of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and, do, and to eat and to drink and to be drunken, the Lord of all of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will. Here it is. This is where we're at today. And prepared not himself. Neither did according to his will. Shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not. And did commit things worthy of stripes. Shall be here it is. Shall be beaten with few stripes. That's the outside. The judgment that the church is going to face. Will be far stricter and more severe 
than those outside. Why? This is why. Sell that ye have and give alms, and provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief broacheth, neither moth corrupt, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What's the, what's the, what's the truth here? Of, if you've been given much, much shall be what? Required. We've been taught a lot. I'll never forget this. When I was in Africa on a missions trip and the missionary was talking to us and they were asking, you know, hey, what was your major? You know, I was a missions major, you know, pastoral and different things like that. And he said, okay. I said, so you plan to get your four-year degree? Yes, sir, we are. I said, I just want you to understand something. He said, the training you're going to get in four years is more Bible training than these people here will get in a lifetime. He said, so understand that God is going to require a lot of you. And these people were serving, these people were happy, these people were joyful. I mean, we could take a great lesson from them. We have so much in America. We have so much knowledge. We have so much Bible. We know so much, yet we do so little with it. Why is that? Well, we know the atrocity of apathy today. Well, uh, we were talking about it in Sunday school. Uh, uh. We're neither hot nor cold. Oh, yeah, we want to be hot for God. Or, you know, but we want to do our own thing and kind of going back and forth. And we just got, we're in a comfortable position. We don't want to be too out there. And we don't, we don't want to be too out there for God because then people think we're weird. But then we don't, and we kind of want to have what we like to do. We want to have our pleasures over here too. What do we want? You know, if we live that way, then we're really more concerned about what? Me. We're not concerned as much about the things of God. We have been entrusted with much. Much shall be required. You know, even the movies stole it, right? With great power comes what? Great responsibility. Actually, those are the words of Jesus. Something great will be required of you if you know much. That's why it will begin at the house of God. Because why? Let's look at number three, the responsibility of the church. Why is the church going to be judged? Because we have the threefold responsibility in order to, and that's why I said this morning, that the condition of our country can be squarely laid at the house of God. Because we have responsibility. The number one thing being, Matthew 28, we know the Great Commission, going to all the world. Amen. And do what? Feed the hungry. Should we do that? Yes, with the gospel as well. Go into all the world and have medical clinics. There's great things, wonderful vehicles for the gospel. But no, it's how to be saved. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that he bled and suffered and died for you and you can be saved this morning. That is the gospel and the truth of the gospel. But not only that, the living the gospel. We're to share it. We're to be lights in the world. We're to shine out there. But we're afraid to shine because someone might say something nasty on our Instagram. Or someone might say, might think you're a little nutty on Facebook or something. Or someone might say, no, I don't want that. 
We need to be sharing. It doesn't matter. We're told to be lights in the world to shine and live the gospel. We're going to get that in a minute. Well, we're to be shining out there. And it doesn't say shine as long as the world accepts you. Can I just tell, give you into a, a little secret? They're going to reject you. A lot of people are. The culture is going to reject you. He said, don't marvel if the world hates you. But you know what? By shining, you're towing people that are looking. And there's a whole lot more people looking than you think. They are dissatisfied with what's going on. They know America's in a mess. They know morality's in a mess. They know something's wrong. And guess what? We can stand up tall with a light and we can say, we have the answer. We have the answer. Can I ask you something? Do you believe you have it? The problem is the church of God, they don't think they have the answer. Well, we can't deal with this issue, and we can't deal with this issue, and we can't deal with this issue, because you know why? Because they tell you you can't. Well, we can't deal with depression. We can't deal with mental illness. We can't deal with those things. That is outside your purview. Boom, goes the Bible and God, and let us fix it, like they've got a clue. Well, does all those things work? His local pastor here, he was out in El Paso for many years, and he would, they would go into the mental institutions and go into those things. I actually know somebody right now that works in a mental institution right now, and you know what they say? If they're really honest, they don't have an answer for these people. They can give them drugs, they can try and calm them down, different things like that, but at the end of the day, they don't have an answer for the longing that's in their soul. Only Jesus is the answer. It doesn't matter how much you're ridiculed or how much, it's the truth. We have to have an unalienable, unchanging motivation that the Bible, the Word of God, the Gospel is the answer. If you believe it's the answer, then you're going to shine. If you don't believe it's the answer, you won't. Well, it's just not my personality. It doesn't give a personality requirement. It just says do it. Ask God to change your personality then. Amen. So then second, to live the gospel. The first is to share it. Second, to live it. You know, if we're going to shine, we need to live it out. Amen. You better have a transformed life. Verse Matthew 5, 17, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean fakeness. You can let people see what you want them to see, right? And uh, to see my good works, but then, you know, in private, you have a lot of evil works. No, to be genuine, to live it out, and to stand for it. Before this week, not many people had heard of postal worker Gerald Groff. He won a Supreme Court case in, against the United States Postal Service. Anybody hear about that this week? Oh, a lot of you did. Let me tell you about it. So Gerald Groff was a rural postal worker in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, he is a missionary. He goes and travels around the world. He's not a non-denominational missionary. He travels around the world. And when he was hired onto the post office um, several years ago, he had a religious exemption at that time. The postal service didn't deliver on Sunday, but he said under no circumstances, and he had an agreement with the postal service that he would not deliver on Sunday because it is the Lord's Day. They said, okay, that's fine. We don't deliver on Sunday anyway, so whatever. So back in 2015, Amazon contracted with the United States Postal Service to deliver what? On Sunday, Amazon packages. 
So what happened is he was scheduled to work on those Sunday shifts. And he says, sorry, we have an agreement. I can't do that. And I said, I'll work in the overtime shifts. I'll switch it with somebody else or whatever. So, okay, fine. You don't have to work on Sundays as long as you can find someone else to sub for you. And all of this, I watched a video of him telling me all, all this, was, what was going on. And so what happened is there were some shifts that he couldn't find anybody. And you think, oh, yes, and he worked the shift. No, he didn't. He refused to do it. And that shift wasn't worked. Man, this guy's got some guts. I wish we had that independent Baptist churches today. And so what happened? So, and so he was intimidated. He was called in. And he was told. So he moved. He said, well, move me to another place to, so that doesn't do it. So he went to another place that didn't deliver on Sunday. He worked there. They started doing it as well. And so it was about a two-year process that he could have been terminated any time uh, that they were in trying to intimidate him and say, well, you should be working. What's your problem? Anyway, so he was counseled once, twice. The third next step was to be fired, and he decided to quit and resign from the Postal Service. And what he decided to do, he said, this is wrong. There's other people that are going through this. He went and got a lawyer, and he sued the United States Postal Service. Amen. Because there are actually, I don't know if many people knew this, but back, I think it's 1964, there is an act that was enacted that any business in America has to give a person a reasonable religious exemption to worship the Lord on the Lord's day. And so he cited that and sued them that they were not accommodating and said unless there was an undue burden. And there wasn't an undue burden on the Postal Service. There was other people that could work those. Tons of other people. He was the only one in his entire post office station that didn't, that didn't want to work on Sunday. So anybody else could have worked and carried his route. So he lawyered up and he sued them. And so there was a lower court that said, well, you can't be sued. You know, the Postal Service stands. So he appealed it and went all the way to Supreme Court. Now, this is the amazing part. Okay, we know there's liberal and conservative justices on the Supreme Court. It was a unanimous nine to nothing in favor of this man. That's a miracle. Of all things, I was like, wow, this is really interesting. Nine to nothing. This man, and he, so now, if you have a business that has 15 or more people in the United States of America, there's a precedent set that if you have an agreement with an employer that you have a religious exemption to worship the Lord on the Lord's Day, that you will not work on the Lord's Day, and they try to make you, that you have legal standing. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. And you know what? This was, and this is the one thing that struck me. Isn't it about time somebody did something? Isn't it about time? Because too many Christians say, sure, I'll work on the Lord's Day. It's only once a month. He was not willing to negotiate. It is the Lord's Day. I'm pretty sure the third commandment is still in the Bible to keep this, remember the Sabbath day and to what? Keep it holy. Well, preacher, that's not the Sabbath. No, the Sabbath was replaced by the first day of the week in the New Testament. Amen. And we're still commanded to keep it holy. We know that when we know the lost don't honor it, but the third commandment still applies today. Well, they don't let me, they don't honor that. Well, that's fine. You should. 
And now, and guess what? Now the entire country has a powerful witness for Christ. He let his light shine. He wasn't afraid of it. But what, what's going on today? Well, you know what? I have to work on Sunday. I have to do this or that. Well, then, if, is it worth losing your job to honor the Lord? God will give you a better one. I tell people that all the time. As a pastor, is it okay? I understand the military, you don't have much of a choice. I get that. I understand. You don't have the same recourse. I understand that. But at the same time, at the same time, through all the years, is the military still has things in place that they must accommodate. If they can accommodate the Muslims and they can accommodate everybody else, they can accommodate you on Sunday. And if you want to push it and you want to push it up your command structure, go right ahead and do it. But a lot of people aren't willing to do that. Why? Because they're threatened. It might, I might get a negative counseling in my packet. I might not get promoted. So what's more important, God or your promotion? They might muster me out of the military. Praise God. You try and t- you take that to the Supreme Court. Because someone has to stand. What has happened in our society are people are unwilling to stand for things because they don't want to go against the system. They don't want to go against the majority opinion. Well, guess what? The Supreme Court of the United States is like, you know, sometimes things come out of there shocking. Nine to nothing. I'm still trying to figure out how Sotomayor agreed with that. Amen. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, these people, well, they agreed with it. Because it was such an open and shut case. Do we live the gospel and let our light shine? There's some things that are non-negotiable. Sunday is one of them. That's one thing in our home. Why I mentioned this on Wednesday, why I'm here today, is because church was a non-negotiable. Well, I don't feel like it. I was listening to one of these Christian shows, and this guy calls up, and he's like, I'm having trouble with my 13-year-old son, and he's angry, and he's, you know, upset, and and all of these things. And, you know, I tell him about the coming of the Lord and he's upset that Jesus is coming, could come back and cut his life short because he wants to live his life and all these other things. And so the guy asked him on the show, I said, sir, sir, do you go to church? Yes, sir. My wife and I go. Does he go with you, your son? No, 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 he doesn't. Why? Well, he chooses not to. He said, well, that ends today. He doesn't get to choose whether or not he goes to church. So does he have a cell phone and internet and all these other things and video games and all this stuff? So, yes, sir, he does. All that goes away right now. Take it all away. And he goes, because there's something that you need to learn. And I said, I want you to say it out loud. Repeat after me. I am the parent. And he said it. He's like, oh, I am the parent. And now say it again like you mean it. This is on radio. He said, say it again like you mean it. He goes, I am the parent. He said, good, stick with that. And you and your wife have to understand that you are the parents and this child isn't going to do this in your house. This is what's going on. Taking a stand. People are afraid of their own children. This is right and wrong. This is what you do and this is what you don't do. And if you don't do it, you're going to do it anyway. That's not oppression. We talked about authority this morning. Uh, there's right and there's wrong, and the God's word decides that. And then the third responsibility, the most solemn responsibility a Christian can have is to pray. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Turn over there. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and I'm done this morning. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. A precious promise. Now, this, the setting of this is Solomon in the dedication of the temple. 
because it was known that Israel had a propensity for falling into sin and forgetting God from one generation to the next. And so in the dedication of the temple, Solomon, under the inspiration of God, gave this wonderful promise and a wonderful truth and a truth that applies to us today. Yes, it was in Israel's time, but this is a precious promise of the character and nature of God. God is a good God. He is a wonderful God. And he takes no pleasure in judging and destroying. But he will judge and will give what is just. But, but, there is always an avenue of hope with God. What do we see with Nineveh? Nineveh, a horribly violent and wicked city. But if they would, what? Repent and turn from their sin as I will spare them and forgive them. And what our nation needs is not as a whole, and this is how we think of this. That's why we have revival time. You know, and uh, revival is a wonderful time that we love revival time in church. Amen. And we, we love it and we love the singing and we love all the preaching and, you know, we love preachers that get up and stomp around and, you know, and, and make us feel like dirt and, and, and different things like that. We love that. And, you know, we think going through all of that, you know, pointing out our sin and going through all of that, that's great. I feel better that the United States is going to be saved from that. That's not the purpose of Revival. The purpose of revival is to get us to a place where we can work for God. Too many times we, we get the, go through revival, right? We feel great. We go repent and we cry. And what are we doing two weeks later? The same things we were crying at the altar revival time about. We go through this ritual. And somehow we think that's revival in America. That's what revival is. No, revival is lasting change. If it was sin during revival time, it's sin two weeks later. So really, what does that mean? That what you cried about two weeks ago wasn't genuine. That's what that tells you. Uh, and that you didn't want to keep your commitment to stay away from sin. Now, you could have been maybe even genuine here, but you didn't take steps to get the sin out like you're supposed to, and here you are back again with it two weeks later. But what is revival for? Revival is a place and a time where we get close to God and we begin to do one thing. You know what that one thing is? Pray. And when you're close to God and when you pray, you're going to see prayers answered. And that's what America need is, needs is prayer. Yes, we need to share the gospel. Yes, we need to live the gospel. And also we need to pray because there's a promise of God. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, and guess what? We're his people. If you're saved by the blood of Christ, you're his people. Which are called by my name. Christians, Christ, Jesus Christ. We are Christians. I'm not ashamed of it. By the way, if you're ashamed of it, don't you dare name the name of Christ. He wasn't ashamed of you on the cross. So I'm ashamed. I don't, I don't want to let people know I'm a Christian. Then don't even tell them. Don't pretend. Just decide right here and now, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Shall humble, oh, here it is. Oh, that's too much. Oh, that's too much. Humble themselves. No, can't do that. We live in the, in the generation of me. That's what social media is designed for, me. Me and what I want and I can share and can tell people what I ate for breakfast. No one cares. I don't care. 
have more important things in life than what you ate for breakfast or what you ate for dinner last night or what you watched on the... On, don't, please don't share what you watched on um, Netflix anyway. <clears throat> Some people do that. Just put it all on there. Shall humble themselves. And what's the next word? Pray. Can I tell you something? If you're not humble, you won't pray. Well, I don't pray. I have a real trouble in my prayer life. Then you're not humble. Because prayer is a communication, a desperate cry to God of need. A personal need, of need of our families, the need of our church, and the need of our nation. And dear Lord, please save all those that are deceived by sodomy in our nation today. Lord, I just pray that you would be, be with those people. And uh, also pray that you be with those that are having abortions. Lord, help stop that. And, uh, we, you know, it's not right. You know, is that how we pray sometimes? You're not connected. You're not in there. You're just doing what you know you're supposed to do. That's not prayer. Prayer is begging God. See, these things change. Because every time I sit in the doctor's office with my wife, and I see an ultrasound, and I look at that, I almost start crying. and said, how can someone be so cruel and evil as to kill that child and not to think anything about it? How in the world can be, people are deceived? How can people take a beautiful, wonderful thing of a relationship between a husband and wife and twist it into a pretzel and make it something so disgusting and evil and wicked and thumb it in the face of God and then try to make our children do it? It should break our heart. And we need to go to God and know what do we do? We get angry about it. We thump our chest and say, we need to do something about it. No, we need to weep and we need to cry and say, God, forgive our nation. How do we see this change? Only you can change it, Lord. What do I need to do to see it change? What do you want me to do? We're past the day of saying, we're praying, God, send somebody. He wants to send you. Let's stop this prayer. Lord, send somebody. Lord, I want you to send me. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Do what? We don't have the prayer of Isaiah anymore. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Well, send my, send my kids. Send, no, how about you? There's a reason God gives burdens. Amen. If it's some many of you, I know you told me you're burdened for the military. Praise God. Go get them. Well, what do I do? Go on the floor and start talking to some soldiers. You know, you can go to any Walmart any time of day and go talk to a soldier. You can go to any restaurant. I can tell you where the restaurants are. You go to, go to Panda Express. They're there, especially the one in Copper Scope. And they're there every single day, packed out. You want to talk to 15, 20 soldiers, invite them to church, go right there. Pastor, do you do that? Absolutely. I walk up, hey guys, I want to invite you out to church. Some of them go, <laughs> you know, and give the little sneer like, oh, church. Other guys go, well, thank you. I appreciate you inviting me. You know, we look at those people. See, that's all soldiers. There's those sneer. And not all of them will. Not all of them will. You have a burden for different groups of people. There's a reason God gave that to you. It isn't just a thing. You know what? I understand we can't go wherever our heart is burdened and different things like that. And my wife knows me and I'll be everywhere, you know, because I get burdened for everything. I mean, I'd be across the ocean. I'd be, I'd be everywhere every five minutes because I just have a burden for everything. But no, God has given me a place to serve here. 
But if God's giving you burden, then God wants you to do something about it. But here we go. What do you need to do first? So humble themselves and pray. Get yourself right. Be right and pray. And here it is. There's a second word. Seek my face. Seek my face. You want to see the face of God? Do you want to seek his face and know what it is to be in his presence? It takes some work. But because he needs humility, pray, seek my face. And here it is. Here's the last one. Here's what's wrong in the church today. And turn from their wicked ways. Formula here. Humility. Because if you're not humble, you're not going to pray. I don't need God. I can make it myself. I can just go to church on Sunday morning and be fine. I don't need to pray. I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to do that. Humility. Pray. Okay, I'm seeking. I'm, I'm communicating with God. But not only that, seeking my face has a different idea to it, is to look diligently for God. To look and to look. And you know what he promises? I will be found. If you look for him, but here it is, but don't try and seek my face if you're not willing to turn from what you know is already sin. Here's the problem in the church today. We know what's sin, we know what's wrong, but we do it anyway. Whether it be our entertainment choices or the language we use, the places we go, the people we associate with, we know what's sin, we know what's wrong, but we do it anyway. Don't expect to see revival happen in your life or in the church if with that frame of reference. You're not, and by the way, if you're doing that, you're not going to be praying. You're not going to be seeking the face of God. Maybe you're praying. Maybe you're reading your Bible, but you're praying through your prayer list. You're having the mechanical prayer life because you know that's what you're supposed to do, but you know there's wickedness in your life. You know it's wicked because God said it is, not because I did. Because a lot of people say, well, my preacher says this is wicked. Well, did he use the Bible? Well, yes. Is what he said from the Bible true? Yes. Then it's the Bible, and God's saying it's wicked, not the preacher. Get that idea out of your head. Well, our pastor says this is wrong and this is wrong. Pastor doesn't like video games. Pastor doesn't like this. Pastor doesn't like that. Hello, if it's in here, it's in here. It's God saying it, not me. Get that idea out. So because then, well, how, what is that for? Well, that's a defense mechanism. If the pastor said it, I don't have to do it. But if God says it, I do. Now, is every video game wrong? Is everything wrong under the face? No, not all of them are, but I can just say that. What is popular today is... It's wicked in the eyes of God. What's popular in our culture out there, our country loves wickedness. It loves wickedness. If it's popular, it's wicked. Yellowstone's wicked. You name the top shows, the top movies, the top anything in our culture today, it's wicked and wrong. But we make excuses. I have liberty, preacher. I have freedom. I, I, why? Why would you go to something that's wicked and evil? Why? Because we're concerned with me. And we're just helping our country go down the path and the path of destruction to the pit of hell. We're helping it along. And we're just going right along with the flow instead of standing and saying, no, this is wrong. Hey, guys, 
this is wrong. And you know what? This, this is what the Bible says. Hey, this is wrong. Instead of, instead of standing in the middle of the stream of people going this way, waving our arms saying, hey, this is, this is the deliverance from God. You're going the wrong way. We're going right along with them. Oh, and we kind of tell those people, you know, and we're in that stream of people, and you know what? We get to know a couple of them, and we're going down the line. We're going down right along with them, and we kind of pray, hey, you know what? You can be saved. You know what? I want to let you know. You can be saved. I'm going to the same place you are, but we, you know, maybe we're not going to hell, but we're going to the same place of destruction they are. They're still going to ruin their lives just like they are. We're going to ruin our kids just like they are. Going to ruin our marriages just like they are. But then we pull our Bibles out and say, hey, you know what? I've got the answer for you. And they look at you like, ha, you don't have no answer. You're just the same as I am. And we wonder why the church has lost its power. We wonder why the church is not seeing people saved like they used to. We wonder why the church isn't making the difference it used to make. Because most of the church is going right along with it. And this didn't used to be extreme preaching not too many years ago. But it's not very common anymore. Why? Because people have lost the palate for being told they're wrong. Can I tell you something? I'm telling myself I'm wrong. Because it's the temptation like anybody else. So, you know what? You know, we don't mean such a big fuss about this or that. You know, the devil brings those things. Do so you need to make a fuss about that? Can I tell you something? If God's word brings it up, we need to bring it out. And if God makes a fuss about it, we need to as well. And we need to have a question in our mind. Do we, can I just ask him, do we pray and fast for America or do we just think it's all lost? Well, I'm just going to live here and, and if it all goes away, it all goes away. I'll pray, do we pray and we fast for America? Then do we put feet to those prayers? Hear my Lord, send me. Send me. Do we cry out to God? God, this is wicked and it's evil and it's wrong. They want to destroy our children. They're trying, the school systems are trying to destroy our children. What can, Lord, help Deliver us. You know, right here on Fort Hood Street, you know, we have dens of iniquity all over our town. You know, driving down there, you see Naked City over there. You know what I pray many times? Lord, burn it to the ground. A place of wickedness. And you know what that place is full of on Friday night and Saturday night full of soldiers destroying their lives. Destroying what a wonderful gift, what God wants to give them. Destroying it because, hey, that's the thing to do. And you know what? Hey, you notice most of them over there have shut down, so maybe something's working. There's a few more that need to be shut down. But we say, well, what's the use of praying, preacher? Because one gets shut down, three more will pop up. You know, it's a useless game. It's a useless thing. You know, yes, one will shut down, but there'll be three more to replace it. You know what? That is exactly what the devil wants you to think. That's exactly what the devil's whispering in your ear. If you believe that, you are deceived. A victory is a victory. And we need to understand something. Do we, are we willing to put feet to those prayers? You know that gentleman that got arrested simply for having a couple of Bible verses that God is not the author of confusion at a pride event, got put in jail, was released. But I, I thought, my, thought my question, I said, how many Christians in America would have the guts to do that? The sad thing is not many, because you know how many people are at that pride event? Three. That were standing there saying something about it. In a very conservative part of Pennsylvania. 
Because we think, oh, you know, well, that's not our job. Really? Who said it isn't? They weren't trying to be controversial. They weren't trying to be hateful. They were trying to present light. Pastor Harvey had marches for righteousness in this town. Amen. A lot of you were there and did those things and stood up for what's right in this town. In Michigan, it's now a five-year prison term if you're a professional counselor and you choose to present conversion therapy for someone who's a homosexual. This is already law in Canada and the UK. Now it's come to Michigan. It's coming to the rest of the United States if you're a professional counselor. And that's pretty broad. And you know what? All of that definition applies to a lot of pastors, especially if they have a counseling degree. If they have a counseling degree, they're considered a professional counselor. How many think you can be tossing their degrees away? A lot of them. So this morning, what do we do? Are we right? If God looks at our life right now and weighs us in the balance, not a matter of salvation. We know that's not a matter of salvation. We know that. Salvation is sealed and forever in heaven. Praise God for that. But that doesn't give us license to live how we want or do what we want. Instead, it endears us to God and enables us to serve Him. And so looking at your life, is your life in the balance right now? You know what's going on in your life and in your heart right now. And is, are you going to be found wanting when Jesus comes? This passage that we just read, that Jesus was giving them a parable, it said that their loins are girded, they're ready, they're clean, they're shaven, they're ready to go. When he comes back, I was doing what you wanted me to do. When Jesus comes back, are we going to be found watching? He said, servants that are watching, servants that are ready, servants that are serving, they're blessed. They're not found wanting in the judgment scales of God. And I firmly believe my goal as the pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church is that when Christ comes back that he looks at our church and the judgment begins at the house of God that we not as a people collectively as a church and also individually that we not be found wanting. That's why I preach what I do. That's why we stand for the Bible like we do because we are given so much that we don't want to be found wanting in the judgment scales of God. I want it to be said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I pray that's all what we live for. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Everything else in this life is just stuff. Just things. The praise of men. Money. Possessions. You're not going to take any of it with you. But you will take the smile of Christ with you to heaven for all of eternity. And that we were faithful. And we did what we were told to do. And what we... And by the way, you better love what God tells you to do. I'm trying to land the plane here. There's a whole other sermon right there. But are we going to get on board and say, Lord, I need to pray for our country, pray for America, pray for our city, to pray and seek God's face, but not only do that, Lord, what do you want me to do about this? Specifically, what do you want me to do? Do I need to write a letter to the editor of the newspaper? Do I need to sit down and talk with a city council member? Do I need to sit down and talk with the mayor of Colleen? You can do that. Call, make an appointment. Hey, can I sit down with the mayor? Yeah, you can do that. Their schedule is usually pretty open because not many people do. 
So you know what? I'm concerned about this going on in our town. What can we do to see it changed? This doesn't honor God. Can we change this in our city? You'd be surprised what God can use you to do. Let's pray. Dearly Father, I pray. Oh Lord, I pray that we be following, that we're following that prescription you gave us in Second Chronicles, Lord, to humble ourselves and to pray and to seek your face. Oh Lord, are we in the right place? Are we doing what we need to do? Are we keeping sin out of our lives and out of our families' lives? Oh Lord, I pray that you would not find us wanting. For Lord, you are a just God and you are a loving God and you love us so much. You loved us so much you gave us your son and your word. What more can we ask? Bless, I pray, this invitation. Help us, Lord, to seek your face. Help us, Lord, to weep tears. Help us, Lord, to see where it begins. It doesn't begin somewhere else. It begins with me. I pray, Lord, that you would bless this time of invitation. Help us as we seek you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.